I, I have three questions, really. I think that really we want to try and address through the text that will help us really learn what, um, what the Scriptures are trying to teach us this morning, help them apply it to our daily lives. And those three questions are this morning, what are you taking? I mean, grabbing, not as in like drug use, okay? So what are you taking hold of? That's my, I should have written that, really. What were you taking hold of? What are you heading for? And what are you looking for? If you are taking notes, <laughs> today's uh, preach title is Hand, Foot, and Eyes. Okay, Hand, Foot, and Eyes. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Mark chapter 9, verses 42. We're looking at verses 42 to 50. And we'll take just basically each section of the verses as we go along. I'm just going to pray over God's word. But if you want to put your finger in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 to 50, that'd be excellent. So, Father, I want to thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, would you just have your way this morning? Would you just have your way? Come, fill us with your presence, Father. Let everything else fall to the side. Let you be our focus on our gaze. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so that's Mark chapter 9. Verses 42 to 50. I'll just keep my finger in it for a moment. So these um, verses, they're going to tell us really something about, firstly, the protective nature of Jesus, the reality of sin for you and I, that everyone gets tested, and that we should stay salty people. Okay, so on... If we're reading from Mark 9, we're going to start with the first verse, for Mark 9, 42, which says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. <laughs> okay, uh, this is... This is where I'm going to start, okay? This is the picture I have in mind when I was thinking about this. Okay, and I appreciate that my daughter's in the room, so this, she's probably not going to be particularly impressed with this analogy, but here we go. It's the moment your daughter goes on her first date. Okay, there we go. Now, what I'm imagining, this is what I'm imagining and will come true. A young man arrives at the house to pick up your daughter and respectfully indicates to me all the ways that he is going to uphold the expectation you have of him during this time. Now, of course, I know that my daughter is quite capable of taking care of herself, but here I'm looking to the young man to give an indication that he's going to do his very best and play his part in honouring her parents. Because if somehow he were to successfully attempt to encourage her to do something or be part of something that was not good for her, then it probably would have been better that he hadn't arrived on my doorstep. In verse 42, in which we just read, Jesus actually, he really uses serious language to demonstrate something of God's paternal, protective nature over those who are his children, particularly those who are young in their faith. And the consequences for those who seek to derail that faith by leading them astray. Now, what's the consequence... <laughs> does seem pretty severe. Of course, I haven't ruled out using a millstone myself. But, you know, whilst it seems severe, 
There is no doubt that it's just, because that's who God is. But I think really what we want to be drawing from this and what it should reveal is something of the fierce love that God has for his children and a big woe to anyone who would seek to taint something of the beauty of that faith that has been given to following Jesus. And do you know that God fiercely loves each and every one of you? And do you know that God is fiercely protective over you? There's a guy called David in the Bible, and in his younger days, David's a shepherd. And as part of his plea to the king of Israel, he shares this. He says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, but when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him, struck him, and delivered it from his mouth. When we read this, you know, this verse helps give a picture potentially of the environment that we, the church, have experienced as God's sheep throughout history. And it also shows us how the shepherd responds in these circumstances and why this is relevant to verse 42. So through David, I really want to say something, share something of the reality for us as a church. Lambs get taken. Lambs get taken. People who are young in their faith will be led astray. In verse 42, Jesus is not saying that he will keep them from being led astray. But as one who is the greater David and the greater shepherd, how much more so will he pursue the lamb that has, that's been taken and strike the one who holds it in his grip? And so even here, right here in this moment, we come to this marvelous picture of the cross. And Jesus saying, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And at the cross, a crushing, once-for-all-time blow is delivered to the enemy of God who seeks to devour his sheep. That is how fiercely God loves you. That is how fiercely God is protective over you. That for every believer in Jesus Christ, though at times you might get led astray, though at times you might get lost, and though at times you might even get snatched by those seeking to derail your faith, that grip on you can never be permanent through Jesus. The price has been paid so that you can never be fully taken away from God. Jesus will pursue you and strike the mouth of that which has a grip on you. You might think you've gone too far, but Jesus is able to bring you back. What a wonderful shepherd he is, amen? What a good father he is. He has done his part and will continue to do his part for those who trust in him. But we also have a part to play. So 1 Peter 5.8 says to be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And this is really the crux, really, the meat of these verses that we're going to be exploring today, that we play a part in being set apart for God, that we play a part in honoring him and in being a fragrance of Christ to the world. When Peter says, be sober-minded and be watchful, he is talking to those who carry really the shepherding responsibility for the church family. So at NLCC, we the elders, we carry that responsibility primarily to be watchful. The enemy of God is seeking to devour, to snatch away, and to derail people in their faith, particularly those who are young in their faith. We need to be more like Jesus. 
to stand upon the truth of all that he has accomplished, but like him, be willing to go after the one. Make every effort to rescue those who have got lost, who have been led astray. Trust in the work of Jesus in order to see people released from the grip of the enemy upon their lives. Now, God will decide what happens to those who set themselves on leading people astray who are young in their faith. That's God's role and responsibility, for he is just. That's his part. Turn page and hold tea. As an elder, I'm mindful of our part. And I implore you, even now as brothers and sisters, to be watchful over one another. To call upon those who are like fathers and mothers in this church family to be mindful of those who are young in their faith. God fiercely loves each and every one of you. God fiercely is protective over each and every one of you. He sent his son for you and his son keeps going after you. He has appointed elders to model the example of Jesus, to be watchful, to lay our lives down, to protect and to pursue, and we invite you to help us be faithful in fulfilling that task in being watchful over one another. Okay, let's get into the meaty bit, okay? So Mark chapter 9, we're going to read verses 43 to 48. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. It's a nice light touch there. Okay. <laughs> so, now Jesus, you know, he's always in the business of teaching his disciples, okay? But in this moment, he's drawing attention away from the charge. Just remember the context is that actually Jesus has drawn his disciples to himself, after they've been arguing over who is the greatest. And he's brought the child into the midst, and he's talking about the child in terms of whoever receives one of these receives me. Okay, so now he's now kind of taking the focus and attention away from the child, and he's giving his attention and his focus to the disciples. Moving from the young in the faith onto those who are, and we can give the disciples credit of being slightly more mature in faith, okay? Slightly more mature in faith. And so for those in the room who fall into that bracket of being slightly more mature than a person who has just discovered their faith in Jesus, these verses are for you to primarily take hold of, to think through, and attempt to apply in your daily life. But before we do that, let's briefly deal with a helpful question for anyone in the room or who might be listening online, who's exploring this stuff for the first time and might not have any idea about what I'm talking about. The question is, what is sin? What is sin? So simply, sin is a heart attitude or a practice that works in direct opposition to God's heart attitude and practice. For example, if you look to sell a car to someone knowing full well there's a few things wrong with it and you decide not to disclose that information... 
you're acting in contrast to God's heart attitude who calls us to love our neighbor. And that means to act with integrity, despite what that might do to the sale price. And for those in this room, then, who have gathered a bit of experience underneath your belts when it comes to following Jesus, God has done his part for you in snatching you out of that permanent grip that sin can have over your life. That power can no longer eternally hold you, but you are not lambs anymore. And part of maturity is growing into the understanding of the part you have to play. God is faithful in his commitment to you. That is him now calling you to aspire and to be faithful in your commitment to him. In his grace, Jesus will shepherd you and pursue you. And at times when you wander off or get led astray, he'll go after you. He'll did it with his disciples. He will do it with you. But that is not stopping Jesus from helping the disciples get to grip with the reality of sin and the path and where it leads. And how to play your part then in preventing it from getting a grip on you. So Jesus uses three examples from the body. The hand, the foot, and the eye. Now, None of these parts of your body have the ability to have a mind of its own. It's not like those old horror movies, if you've seen them, you know, where someone has a hand transplant and then suddenly the hand starts making you do things that you don't want to do, yeah? Here Jesus is addressing the reality of temptation, that it tempts your heart to pursue things that are dressed up as good for you but in reality are in contrast to the heart attitude of God and what he has declared good, it, that it leads you to a place of sin. So starting with the hand, the hand is representing the things you might be tempted to take, take hold of, things in life that have been presented to you as something to grab, to take hold of, the opportunistic moments. This is the lie on your CV to land the job you want. This is taking advantage of someone in a vulnerable situation for your own personal gains. It's moving the chess piece while your friend is not looking. It's that type of thing. The foot, it represents the steps that you take, the direction of travel, the pathway you choose. It's a little bit longer sighted, okay? A little bit more considered. These are the crossroads. If I go left here... I know I'll be pleasing God. But if I go right, I know this road leads me away from God. It's a little bit more intentional. It's a little bit more thought through. This is a bit like your friends inviting you out on a Friday night. And with this particular group, you know that this night is going to involve, you know know what the night's going to involve, okay? And you know that actually you personally, you're going to really struggle to be set apart for God in this moment and to be pleasing to God in that environment. But you don't want to miss out, do you? So you choose to go anyway. That's that kind of a little bit more longer-sighted. I've given this a bit of thought. It's not so opportunistic. I've thought about this through the week, and I'm going to go anyway. Now, to finish, Jesus talks about the eyes, you know, And this is about the way that you are viewing the world and what you're looking for and who you are looking to. For example, 
When you are looking for advice, do you turn to the person who will give you the advice that you want? Or do you turn to the person who, you give, who will give you the advice that you need? And when you look across the church family, do you see them firstly as brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers to honor in Christ? Or do you view them differently, maybe as, as, as competition or as means of opportunity? Until the time that Jesus returns, there's always going to be an opportunity to fall into sin, whether that's through something you take or a path that you walk or by something that you give your attention to. And Jesus responds to this danger by declaring to the disciples, it is better for you to enter life. And then he says it again, it is better for you to enter life. And the third time he says, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God. So for you more mature folk in this room, you should know better than to indulge in the things of this world. This is a short-sighted approach. It is a quick gain, which will leave you probably in a worse position than when you started. Adverts. Adverts are very clever today. You know, they are full of what we call quick wins. Quick gains, health diets, protein powders, regimes that enable quick results. They very rarely focus on the long-term, sustainable, fruitful approach to healthy living. It's about the now. You can have this now. It is better for you to look ahead to the hope you have in Jesus. It is better for you to build for long-term fruitfulness. It is better for you to come under the rule and reign of God than to be caught out by quick wins or quick gains presented by the world. It is better for you to work towards a sustainable approach and a healthy living in Christ Jesus. The book of wisdom literature, that is the proverb, says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And part of the way Jesus teaches his disciples to guard their heart attitudes is to cut yourself off from the areas that tempt you into sin. Three times Jesus emphasizes this approach. Cut it off, cut it off, tear it out. So if you didn't get the severity of Jesus the first time, you definitely got it the second and the third. And for those of us who are you know, at a slightly more mature point in their life with Jesus, you are going to have a greater self-awareness of the things in life that could potentially lead you astray, things that can draw you away from Jesus and from the flock, the things that can get a grip on your life. And clearly, it's not about severing your limbs, okay? But it is about severing those opportunities that might lead you to taking something you shouldn't, might lead you to walking a path that can be destructive, or might lead you to viewing it in a way that, dishonoring, that is dishonoring to God. Cut off the opportunity where you can. Set your sights higher and further. Look at the end game. Build for the long term and be wary of quick gains and quick wins. Okay, it's Mark. Mark 9, verse 49. Oh, that's a really short one, isn't it? There we go. For everyone will be salted... 
with fire. Everyone will be salted with fire. So Jesus is now, he's lifting his gaze from speaking directly to the disciples, and he's coming back now to capturing everyone into the conversation. And here's, he is sharing how things at times in life will get heated for all people, just conveniently in the midst of you know, 25 degree weather at 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, it's, he's sharing things will get a little bit hot and a little bit uncomfortable. The New Living Translation helpfully puts it like this, for everyone will be tested by fire. So everyone gets tested by something. And what the scripture means by being tested by fire is to walk through heated circumstances that at times can feel incredibly uncomfortable but they're there for you to walk through and come through the other side in better shape than when you walked in. Fire, amongst other things, is a means of purifying. Its heat can kill germs. So if you're not sure about the local water, you boil it first. You heat it through. You bring it to a temperature that gets rid of any impurities. Or, for example, let's take another example. You've got a splinter. Okay, I'm just going to share with you now, as you, as you, you, you might not know this, but these are not proper working hands. These, these are moisturized hands, okay? These are hands that are on a keyboard day in, day out. They're not, you know, I can't grip Phil's hands, you know, and there's, they're coarse, and they've been working with nature, you know? <clears throat> they're not proper working hands. But every now and then, I do get a splinter. I was hoping for that. (laughs) A little bit of consideration. Thank you. Now, if you want to get rid of that thing immediately, you grab hold of a needle and you either pop it in boiling water or you really heat that thing with fire. The purpose, to remove anything on the needle that might cause infection in the area. I've got a nurse in the room, so correct me if I'm wrong. But you just catch me afterwards, yeah? Okay, yeah. So... With all good measures of health and safety in in place, you you heat that thing up in order that the needle is purified, okay? With heat, in order to treat the splinter without risk of further harm to the body, okay? The purpose of the fire is to purify, but the process can be pretty hot and uncomfortable. Now, we can experience lots of circumstances in life that make us feel uncomfortable. Like, I'm going to say this just very lightly, watching people enjoying pineapple on pizza, that makes me feel uncomfortable, okay? But in the context that we are looking at, that testing is connected to temptation. The reason that situation is feeling hot and uncomfortable is because it's forcing us to make a choice between living for God and the things that please Him versus living for us and maybe the things that are in contrast to God's heart. So Jesus says in Matthew's account of this section that it is actually necessary that temptations come. (laughs) Think, why? Why is it necessary that temptations come? Well, on one level, it should help us all realize that this world is in a bit of a fallen state, hey? That there are things at work all the time that are in contrast to God's heart. That's why Jesus had to come in the first place. But on another level, temptations also prove to be a process in helping us as followers of Jesus to be more set apart for God. 
fire might feel hot and uncomfortable, but it also purifies, depending on how you handle it. So Jesus, I mean, Drew, you picked this up last week, didn't you? We talked about praying and fasting. Jesus, when he's tempted in the desert, you know, he models to us something of the way that we navigate that temptation to walk through the fire. To every temptation given to him by the devil, Jesus responds with what God's word has to say about it. Sounds simple, but it's also one of the significant reasons why the reading of God's word for each and every believer and the growing in the knowledge of God's word is so important. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. A sword is able to parry, so to defend, and is also to go on the offensive. It is sufficient to see you through. And for every choice that you make as a Christian to say no to something for the glory of God's name and ultimately for the sake of your good, that's a purifying moment. A moment where you show your intention to be set apart for God, to be holy to him, to be devoted to him. Now here Jesus says everyone will be tested by fire. Which means Christians and non-Christians are going to go through a hot and uncomfortable circumstances in which they can make a choice that is either pleasing to God or not pleasing to God. The difference is about who is in the fire with them. So before we look at the last couple of verses, I just want to finish the section with this. That marvelous story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is one of saying no to temptation, of saying yes to being set apart to God, and both metaphorically and literally being tested by fire. And when the king of Babylon throws these three Israelites into a blazing hot furnace, a fourth figure is seen with them. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are completely unharmed by the fire. Now, for every Christian that walks through that fire of testing, that hot and uncomfortable situation of temptation, that moment that presents a choice for you to make, I want to share with you the difference that Jesus makes. A difference that Jesus makes to that situation. You You may make the right choice. You may make the wrong choice. But because of Jesus, you won't be consumed by the fire. Jesus is willing for you to come through unscathed. That's what, he's, that's what he's rooting for. He wants you to come through unscathed and have a greater sense of you being set apart for him. But there are times when that, it won't quite work out like that and you may get a little bit burnt. But Jesus is still with you and you won't be consumed by the fire. The grip will not be a permanent grip. The shepherd will strike the mouth of the temptation so it doesn't rule over you. However, the story for those who do not belong to Jesus is a little different. Without Jesus in the picture, the fire is able to consume. The grip can be permanent, and it will feel like a groundhog day of trying to navigate through the fire again and again and again. And the heart attitude of God cries out for every single one of those people to come to him and allow him to shepherd him. Grace is that you are not consumed by the fire. God has done and is doing his part. And these are moments for us to do our part and to keep choosing him. Last verse then. Salt is good, 
But if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Okay, so salt is good. Salt is good for seasoning, it's good for preserving, and in a similar way to fire, salt is actually good for purifying. So in, this, in the context, salt is really about fulfilling your purpose in Christ. It's about stepping into what it really means, or truly means, to be a people set apart for God. And in verse 50, Jesus asks his disciples this question, if the salt has lost its saltiness, how, how you make it salty again? It's the same question, really, that Jesus asked in Matthew 5 when talking about the church being the salt of the earth. The question really being, if you are not being who you are made to be, how do you get back to that? You know a lamp is not put under a basket. It's set in the room to give light to the whole house. And that's what it is to be set apart for God. It's to give light to the whole house. That's what it is to be the salt of the earth, to carry the fragrance of Jesus to others, to install things in your life now that look ahead to a long life of healthy living with God and saying no and cutting off those opportunities that present themselves as quick wins or quick fixes or quick gains and exchanging them for you to build a heart attitude that says, I'm spending eternity with God. This whole dialogue with Jesus, like I said earlier, and the disciples, they come out of the, they come out of the context of the disciples arguing over which one of them is the greatest. Which one of them is the greatest disciple? And so Jesus here, he's teaching them, hey, guys, this is what it is to say no to temptation and to give themselves to the things that truly matter. Satan only offered Jesus a series of quick gains, wins or fixes. And Jesus countered that offer with the word of God and with eyes set on something much more beautiful, much more sustainable, and ultimately much more certain. He set his eyes on the eternal term. When Jesus asked that question, you know, about losing your saltiness, meaning your set-apartness to God, Jesus is not, he's not talking about losing the salt altogether. He's talking about losing that flavor. I think it's the same as like when you go adrift sometimes in your Christian faith. You know, you lose your mission focus. You, you know, you, you just get a little bit lost. You know you belong to God, but you're just feeling like you've just gone off the path a little bit. And I think really for anyone who's in that situation, the, the way back to regaining that saltiness is really about the grace of Jesus in your life. God loves you. And, his, and like his disciples, he wants to reorientate your focus so that you do not easily, so easily, buy into the values of the world, like things like who's the greatest, or do whatever makes you happy, but cause you to remember the beauty of being called his own, of being set apart for him, of being a fragrance to others, of building for long-term success with God rather than short-term success in the world. One offers true healthy living. The other offers short-term fix with potential for long-term complications. So Jesus finishes with this, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. He's saying to the disciples, look, guys, just stop squabbling over things that don't, do not matter in the kingdom of God. 
who's the greatest, is a question that is so far off the mark when it comes to the heart attitude of the people of God. Instead, give yourselves to the heavenly things that matter, being a light to the world by being set apart as a people who are holy to God. Be amazed by the work that God has done in your life and honor him by playing your part well. So Jesus says, have salt in yourselves. Well, to help that process of you taking responsibility for your walk with God, knowing that at times you will be tested, let's revisit those questions. What are you taking hold of? Where are you heading? What are you looking for? And in each situation, it's about choosing Jesus with a heart attitude of desiring to be, apart, to be set apart for him. It's your heart attitude matching his heart attitude for you. That when opportunity comes, you grab hold of him. That when crossroads come, you choose his pathway for your life. And when things seek to draw your attention away, your eyes remain fixed on him. I remember this. Jesus is with you. And the grace of Jesus is that the fire will not consume you. And he has given you a helper in the Holy Spirit to aid you. Let our heart attitude be of one that seeks to make the choices that set us apart for him and fulfill our purpose of being a light to the world. Should we stand together? Mark, do you want to come and help us lead in worshipful response? response really I'd like to read a proverb over us that it might be wisdom that fuels a heart-led response in recommitting ourselves to that goal of being a holy set-apart people that brings the fragrance of Christ to those around us these are those scriptures we work through they're tricky scriptures to navigate yeah but through it we understand something of a God who fiercely loves us is fiercely protective over us that he paid the price for all those who believe that sin would not have a permanent grip on our lives so let's above all things thank him as the good shepherd who is so willing to come strike the mouth of those things in life that are seeking to snatch us away from him. What a saviour he is. What a shepherd he is. How magnificent he is. And Lord, I pray even now, as I, before I read the scriptures, help us to do our part in being set apart for you. So Proverbs 4 23 to 27 says keep 
your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. And I pray these words of wisdom would embed in us, Lord, as our, as your church family. That will help us, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Oh, Lord, where would we be without it, consumed by the fire? We thank you for your hope, the help of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, where we would be, we'd be probably burnt quite a few times. But I thank you that you've given that and so much more in your word and through your family that's around us. And I pray that, Father, you would enable us and give us a heart and a passion to do our part to be set apart for you, to be holy to you, that we may take that rightful place and not be in a lamp that's covered in the corner, but to fulfill its purpose and be in lighting up the whole house, to be a city on a hill that is visible for all to see, to be light of the world as you, Lord Jesus, are light of the world. And so we ask these things to you, Lord, as we go into our week ahead and those crossroads come and those opportunities come and those things that seek to get our attention come, may we make choices for you, knowing that you're with us in the fire. In Jesus' name, amen.